chapter 1 tonight. And we'll begin at verse number 1, Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. In verse 6 through verse 12, it's kind of a behind the scenes verses that show us what was going on in heaven. Job had no idea of the conversation between the Lord and Satan and what was being said and what was about to happen in his life. So we'll skip to verse 13. Job was blessed, of course. He was a godly man living a righteous life in whom God was well pleased. We know that. In verse 13, and there was a day when his sons and his Daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I never get tired of reading Job chapter 1. It amazes me how he responded so well to the tragedies that unfolded before him all in one day. I want to speak this evening on the subject, when the blessings end. When the blessings end. Job made it very clear in his statement at the end of chapter 1 
that the blessings God gives are going to end. If it does not end sometime in your life, it definitely will, they will end at your death. And I think statistically, it's probably very unlikely that the blessings that God has given you in this life, the temporal blessings, you're going to be able to hang on to all of them until the day of your death. Somewhere along the way, you are going to lose them. The blessings most likely will come to an end. And as I read this chapter and I think about all the things that Job went through, what runs through my mind, of course, the tragedies. I I try to picture myself, Lord, if, if this was me and these tragedies all befell me in one day, how would I respond? You know, I began to think about that, and my first reaction was, I don't know. I don't know if I can know how I would respond. Until you actually live through something like that, you feel like there's no way that you could really know what you would do. But after thinking about it, after praying, after searching, I believe that it was no accident that Job was able to respond the way he did when the blessings came to an end. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me to deliver the message and the truth that you want brought across in a way that's going to be most helpful for everyone here. So Lord, please, meet the needs that we have in our church family and anyone that may be listening online that's not a part of our church, the folks here, and even myself. Lord, just pray that you would use this time to give us what we need at this point in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. At first, I want us to think about uh, Job and consider him. That was the question that The Lord put before Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And that's what I want us to do. I have uh, no points in this message. I don't know, preacher, have you ever preached a pointless message? I think I have too (laughs) many times. But uh, there really is no point other than the one truth we're going to get to at the very end. And uh, we're going to all build up toward that and lead lead us down this path. But as we consider Job, I want us to first of all just be reminded somewhat of Job and his blessings, what the blessings were that God had bestowed upon him. In verse number one, four aspects are relayed to us in Scripture. And then again, in verse number eight and over in chapter two and verse three, God himself, in speaking to Satan, reiterates these four characteristics of Job. He says that he is perfect. I'm going to move this out of the way right here. That's all right. Uh, He is perfect. That word perfect just simply means that he is complete or he's undefiled. He was very mature in uh, in his character and he was very disciplined. Uh, He was upright, which means he was straight. 
Uh, he was very honest in his dealings. He would shoot straight with you and he would give you a fair deal. And uh, he, was, he was just honest is what we get from that word. And then we come to the fact that he feared God. This means that he was uh, fearing, yes, as in uh, fear, but also in a very deep respect for God. And uh, a reverence, a reverent fear is what he had. And uh, boy, isn't that, isn't that something that we need today is to have more reverence for God. And we see that in society, and especially, I mean, among Christian people, we would think that Christian people who name the name of God would show respect and reverence for God and the things of God, but that is not the case. We are becoming less reverent and less respectful of God and the things, and I believe that we need a good old dose of the fear of the Lord again. And we think that Job would not only just fear the Lord, but he would be training his children and teaching them how to also fear the Lord. And at a very minimum, we would see out this respect for God lived out in some way. And I think that we could see the respect for the things of God, and we ought to see that. And I know that when I was brought up, that I was taught to respect the things of God, and the house of God was respected. And I must just just mention that as a child, I was not allowed to run in church. I got several whippings because I was not allowed to run in church and I was treating the house of God disrespectfully. And uh, I mean, I was made to sit out in church as a child and made to sit there and behave and we didn't have children's churches and those kind of things. And I'm not opposed to those things, but I am opposed to not teaching your child to respect the house of God because it, re- it represents God. And we need some more of that today, some respect for God and His house and His Word and His man And one thing that bothers me is when people call their pastor by the first name without a brother in front of it or without pastor. And hey, you get very flippant. Hey, I know that he is just a man, but he is a representative of God. He's got the call of God upon his life. And we can at least show enough respect if it's not for the man, for the position that he holds and for the God that he represents. We ought to not just be casual in how we address those things. It's showing respect. And the Bible says that not only did he fear God, but he also eschewed evil, which simply means that he avoided anything that was evil or sinful and wrong. He would shun it. He anticipated where it might would be, and he would go around it. He was very very diligent evidently because it was mentioned that he eschewed evil. He was very diligent in avoiding sin and staying away from things that were wrong that would break God's heart. Man, what, what a guy. What a godly man for God to confirm that these characteristics were true of him. But not only that, in verses 4 and 5, I see how he was very much dedicated to his family. And may I say, that's what a godly man does. And I know this is Father's Day and a few things about fathers just come to my mind as I read this passage. And as the preacher mentioned this morning, he, Job was a godly man and a great example of a father. But pay attention to verse 4 and 5. God did not just put that in there as extra stuff for us to know. Uh, he wants us to learn something from it. There's a reason why He put it in there. 
And you describe their family as they would gather together and feast. I can picture uh, my family. We did that as on holidays. We're able to come together many times for different holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and throughout the year. We may have times where we gather as a family and get together, and that's something similar to what they were doing here in verse 4. And in verse 5, I want you to pay attention to it. It says, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job made ten separate sacrifices after this feast was over. He was very concerned about the spiritual welfare of his children. Boy, that's what godly men do. More important than having substance, more important than what gifts they may have, more important than the comforts of life, a godly man is very concerned about the spiritual condition of his children and of his family. And Job was. He had to get up very early and prepare the altar and get the sacrifices there on ten different animals that he was going to be sacrificing on behalf of his children. And he did that. Job's knowledge of God and especially of God's judgment for sin drove him to intercede for his children before God. Boy, let me ask you fathers that are there, how often, how much is that a burden on your heart to intercede for the spiritual condition of your children and of your wife and of your family? That's the responsibility that God has placed upon the husband and his home. Job carries out that very diligently. What an example. May we be more concerned for the spiritual needs of our family. And maybe we be more aware of the spiritual dangers that are lurking out there that would attack. And God gives the man in the home the perception to know and see these things for his family. And if we are walking with God, God will say, hey, you better not allow this. You better not do this. And children who are watching, and you have a dad who is spiritual and who prays and who loves you and cares for you. And when they come to you and they tell you, I don't want you participating with this. I don't want you going with this friend or this person. I don't want you to get too close to them. Hey, you better pay attention and listen because it is no accident, especially if God has spoken to your father And He is instructing you according to what God has shown him. You better not take that lightly. We see the blessings that Job has, the family, the seven sons and three daughters, the blessings of substance that we described in verse 3, 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen. And it goes on to describe it and says a very great household. So much so that he was, the, as far as substance was concerned, he was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was blessed with substance by God. But yet his main concern for his family was their spiritual condition. (laughs) There's one other blessing that Job enjoyed that It's not listed in the first five verses. It's actually shown to us down in verse 10 in the conversation that God and Satan had with one another. 
And when God asked Satan if he had considered his servant Job, that there was none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil, Satan's reply was, uh, Doth Job fear God for naught? And notice this in verse 10, Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Boy, if we dissect that question that Satan asked God, we understand that because of Job's faithfulness to God, that God has put a hedge of protection around him, around his family, around his job, around his possessions. And notice, Satan knew that that hedge was not only partially built, he said every side. You see, Satan had wanted to get after Job. It reminds me of the conversation the Lord had with Peter in his earthly ministry before he went to the cross. He said, uh, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And we know that the devil is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And if you're going to live godly, you can rest assured that Satan is going to be after you. But thank God, if you are serving God, God puts a hedge of protection around you where Satan cannot get to you. Satan said, I tried to get at him from every side, but you put this hedge of protection around and I can't get him. And Job is serving you and it's costing him nothing. Who wouldn't serve you if you blessed them the way you've blessed Job? He said, Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. No wonder he is serving you. He's serving you because of the blessings that you're giving him. And may I just say, a high percentage of the time, the devil's right. That is the case. How many people have started out to follow Christ? To obey Him in their lives and follow His commands and live for Him. And they set out and they start making progress. But then the Lord pulls a little bit of the hedge of protection away and Satan makes an attack or the Lord brings some hardships in their life to humble them, to prove them, to make them grow. And they give up. They say, it's not worth it. I'm not going to continue on. I'm not getting anything out of this. Uh, My kids are not getting better. My life is not getting better. My finances aren't improving. My substance is decreasing. I cannot tithe. I can't even pay my bills. And on and on it goes. And the whole reason why is because you're not following God because of who He is. You're following God because of what He can give you. That wasn't Job. Satan knew most of the time. A lot of times that's the case. And he wouldn't know that unless he tested him. And of course, God allowed Job to be tested. So we have this blessings that Job enjoyed. And because of that conversation in verses 6 through 13, God allowed Satan to remove those blessings. And I want us to consider Job's response. His response to that. 
Let's look at some of the things that Job said as he went through this trial. We don't know how old Job was when this trial began. He was old enough to have a family of, what, seven sons, three daughters, had built a business. God had blessed him in that way. So he was along pretty good. We don't know how long this process took from chapter 1 through the end of chapter 42. If we read the end of chapter 42, we realize that after all of this happened, Job lived 140 more years. And he saw four more generations of his children. So this part of Job's life is just the only sliver we know. We don't know his heritage. We don't know where Job came from or his lineage. We don't know what happened to his posterity, his children afterwards. God gave us this little sliver of Job's life. This little piece of the pie. So we can learn how to respond to the trials of life. And during this time, Job made some great statements. And I'm sure most of you know them. Chapter 13 and verse 15. Job made this statement. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. (laughs) He's taken away my wealth. He's taken away my business. He's taken away my children. He's taken away my health even in chapter 2. He's taken all of that away. And even if he takes my life, I am going to trust him. (laughs) Amazing. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of three friends accusing him and judging him, look over at chapter 19 and verse number 25, where he stands and says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. There was no doubt in Job's mind that God was still alive and in control. And over in chapter 23, One of the most famous that talks about how when he's been tried, he'll come forth as go. Job makes a statement in previous verses, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, and I cannot see him. He says, I don't know where God is and what God is doing, but here's what I do know. He knows the way I take. I don't know what way he's going, but he knows where I'm at. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. (laughs) How do you get that perspective in the middle of your trial? Look back at chapter chapter 2 even, when his wife just had had enough and said that he ought to curse God and die. He said, he said, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. And here's the statement that he makes. Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Well, there's a question that you ought to ponder and consider. But how he responded to these tragic events in his life is really astounding. And as I said, 
I wondered, how would I respond if I went through something similar? And more importantly, why was Job able to respond the way he responded? That's the real question. I want you to look toward the end of chapter 1. Verse number 20. After all these tragic events had taken place, it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. This is just a custom way during their time that they would show grief. Just as our society may wear black or put a black wreath on the door or something similar to that. It was a custom of how you showed grief and of tragic events that happened to you and your family. And so this is what he was doing. But then, I'm okay with that, but then I see this part. The preacher alluded to it this morning. And fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And I had to stop again and say, is that what I would have done? Would that have been my first response? To fall down upon the ground and to worship. And immediately, verse 21, here's what he speaks. He hasn't spoken yet, but now he speaks. And he makes that famous statement for us as Christians. Naked came I out of my mother's womb and Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I realized that it was in the place of worship that Job was able to get the perspective he needed for the trials that God was putting him through and allowing to happen in his life. Yes, it was... That place, that place of worship that Job was able to find grace. It was in that place of worship that Job was able to find courage to face what he had to face. It was in that place of worship that he found wisdom from God on what steps to take and what to do. It was in that place of worship that he got guidance that he needed. We need that place of worship. but I don't think we know what worship is in our day. I think a lot of the uh, evangelical Christian crowd has destroyed or at least muddied the waters of what worship really means. And if I were to ask you what worship was, you could probably come up with some type of definition If you had not studied in the Scripture, you probably couldn't give a biblical definition. But as we look at the biblical definition of worship, let me just ask you, we met for church today and it's often referred to as a worship service and I want to ask, did you worship God today? And you say, oh yeah, we worship God today. Okay, tell me exactly where in the service that you worship. 
God. Well, it wasn't any one particular moment, you know. It was just the whole experience of it all. And that answer right there tells me you do not know the biblical definition of worship. I'm not against calling it a worship service. (laughs) But I want us to know what that word worship means in the Bible. We don't have time to get into it. But I challenge you to go study. Find out what it means. Because if you don't have that place of worship, you're never going to get God's perspective on what He's putting you through and the trials in your life. Notice, He said, and He goes a step further. I mean, He says, The Lord hath taken away. Now, wait a minute. I thought Satan was doing this. And from a human perspective, we may look and say, those Sabaeans came in and took all of my flocks. Those Chaldeans came down. There was some crazy natural disaster that took place and wiped out my kid's house and it all fell on them. These were things that were out of our control. But no, Job did not say a natural disaster took his children. He didn't say it was the Chaldeans' fault or the Sabaeans' fault. He didn't get bitter toward them. He said, the Lord hath taken away. He goes a step further. It says, blessed be the name of the Lord. The word blessed is used many times in the Old Testament. The word blessed there means to kneel. It means to kneel, to physically kneel down. Bless the Lord. Psalm 95, 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. It means to kneel before God as an act of adoration. Many Psalms contain it and says, Bless the Lord. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Job was able to bless the Lord. What started all this with Job? Was it more than just having a place of worship that got him through it? You know, I began as I read this, and what triggered this whole message was back up in verse number 8, and I want to show you, and we're almost done. Verse number 8. In the conversation between God and Satan, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth? And I began to wonder, what was it about Job that got God's attention? Well, I thought, well, he knew that he knew his character and he was going to make it through these trials just fine. But what was it about Job? He hadn't even faced a trial. He hadn't gone through any hardship yet. He was enjoying the blessings of God, but yet God knew that Job was going to make it through any trial that could be put upon him. 
and respond in the right way. And I realized (laughs) what it was. You know, we look at Job, and even in James chapter 5, the only place Job's mentioned in the New Testament, he's identified as an example of patience in the midst of great suffering. And we stand in awe of Job and how he remained faithful to God through those difficult times. But I believe what caught God's attention was not the fact that he had foreknowledge of what Job was going to do when he faced the trial, I think what impressed God and got God's attention was how Job responded to the blessings that God had given him. (laughs) You say, he responded to the blessings. What are you talking about? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. The children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. They had been 400 plus years in captivity and God had brought them out. They had spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. And all they have heard for these 440 years was about a deliverer and about a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now they are on the verge of actually going into it. And they're getting their final instructions Chapter 9, they actually are fixed to cross over Jordan, but in chapter 8, is mostly some warnings that God's given them. Did you ever think that you were going to have to have some warnings about the blessings that God gives? Hey, haven't you seen it happen in life? That people go through great trials of affliction and they endure and they go on and they finally make it to success only to have success be their downfall. (laughs) It happens spiritually. To where someone struggles and makes it and goes and has the blessings of God upon their life and it is those blessings that become their spiritual downfall. Well, God is warning His children that when we go into the promised land, there's some things you better be aware of. And tells them how they are to prevent that from happening. Verse number 6, He says, "Thou uh, Deuteronomy 8, 6, Therefore thou shalt keep the commandment of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths. Boy, they had no water at one time. They, know what it, they knew what it was like to be thirsty. They knew what it was like to go without. A land of wheat and barley and vines. and They knew what it was to be hungry and to go without, without food and not knowing where their next meal was going to come from. God miraculously supplied. In verse 9 it says, A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, Thou shalt not lack anything in it. Boy, that's a good land. It is the land of blessing. And frankly, it's the land that I want to live in. (laughs) But there's some dangers. Look down at verse 11. Beware, he said, that thou forget not the Lord thy God. (laughs) The danger of the blessings is that you forget God. 
You forget Him in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten, here's what happens, thou eat and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. Is that what happened to Job? Yeah. He experienced that. God's blessing. But God's warning the children of Israel before they go in. This is after Job. In verse 14, He said, here's what happens. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness. Down to verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna. Verse 17, and thou say in thine heart, not out loud, in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. And he's warning them and he says in verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. It is God that gives you the power to get wealth. It is God who brought you out of the land you were in. And if we, for a moment, do not do the things necessary when, and we don't respond properly to the blessings of God, then we are going to forget God. Our hearts are going to be lifted up. And we are going to forget that it was God that brought us out. It was God who led us. It was God who sustained us. It was God who gave us power. It was God that gave us the wisdom. It was not our wisdom that made that good business decision. It was not us who landed the sale. It was not us who got the new client. It was not us who preached the good sermon. It was not us who reached someone. It was not us that was a blessing to someone else. It was all because of the power of Almighty God. And when the blessings come, we've got to respond the right way. And I believe Job did. And because he responded the correct way, God knew when the trials come, he was going to respond the right way. So well, what am I supposed to do when the blessings come? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. I skipped a verse. Verse number 10. I got a big box written, scribed around it in my Bible. Because God tells them what they need to do so they won't forget Him. He said, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. This past Thanksgiving, God showed me this in this verse right before Thanksgiving. I didn't share it with anyone. I kept it to myself and just thought about it. On Thanksgiving Day, we were, you know, we had a feast. It was turkey and dressing and oh, sweet potato, casserole, and I don't know, three or four different kind of pies. You know, I mean, we just overdo it. <laughs> like most one, most of us do, right? And so we got there and we gathered around uh, for Thanksgiving noon meal and 
I said, okay, we're going to do things a little different this year. I said, we're not going to have a blessing before we eat. I got some looks. But uh, I guess I had my man socks on. (laughs) What? We're not going to say a blessing before we eat? This seems wrong. Yeah, it does. But we're not going to say a blessing. We are going to eat and stuff ourselves. And then we're going to do the blessing afterwards. So we ate, and we ate, and we ate. And you know how it is Thanksgiving Day after you eat so much? And you're, you just have to say it. Oh, I'm never going to eat again. I'm so full. At that point, this verse, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. So after that meal, I pulled out the Bible. We read this verse. We talked about it. And of course, questions come up about this. Why don't we say a blessing before we eat and not do it after and those kind of things. And Just real quick, I mean, because Jesus took the bread, break it, blessed it and break it and served it. It's a good example in the New Testament. And really, I think it would be good if we said a blessing before and a blessing after. But... But here we see that God tells us we are to bless the Lord thy God for the blessing. We're to bless Him. What does that word bless mean? Same thing it meant over there in Job chapter 1. To kneel down and give God adoration. It is to do this right here. God, thank you for the job. Thank you for the raise. Thank you for protecting my kids today. Thank you for allowing us to meet together in church today. Thank you for the food you provided us to eat. Thank you, God, for the wisdom to make that decision. Thank you, God, for giving me that sale today. Thank you, God, for using me to bless your people with a message today. Thank you, God, for my work. Thank you, God, for my wife. And on and on we could go. You say, well, I can tell God that while I'm standing up. And that tells me there's something wrong in here. Thine heart has been lifted up with pride. 
There is something about physically kneeling before God and acknowledging that the blessing came from Him. And God said it in His Word that if you will do that, you will not forget Him because of the blessings. What was the first thing out of Job's mouth? When he got up from worship, naked came I out of the womb, naked shall I return thither. Notice what he said. The Lord gave. We tend to skip over that part. If we don't get the Lord gave, right, we will not ever respond right to the Lord hath taken away. And the probability is that in your lifetime, the blessings that God gives you, a spouse, God forbid, children, a job, substance, a protective hedge, very well could be taken away. And how you respond at that point is very directly related to how you responded when he gave it to you. May we be people who will fall on our knees and acknowledge that all we have, all we are, and all that's been done is because the Lord gave. When the blessing's in, I want to respond right, just like Job. And I think we know why. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time.